on the show today, I have for you a development coach. All right, stop the presses. You want to know how to get to the next level? Do you want to know how to find your grit factor? Not only is this guest a former PGA pro, but he is a development coach and an author and a speaker, host of an amazing podcast. He is bringing it for you, so stay with me. Hey there, you're listening to the Living a Limitless Life podcast. I'm Sharon Hughes, and on this show, we talk about mastering your mindset, growing your faith, and becoming the leader you want to be with tips, strategies, and interviews to help you create a life you love. I'm really glad you're here. So come on, let's go. On today's show, we're joined by Thane Marcus Ringler. He is a ex-pro golfer, a development coach, host of the Up and Comers show, and he has a fantastic book out, From Here to There, A Quarter-Life Perspective on the Path to Mastery. Welcome to the show, Thane. Thanks so much for having me, Sharon. Excited to have some time to chat with you today. Oh, I'm so excited to speak with you. You are so highly accomplished at such a young age. I know my audience is going to want to know what drives you. How did you do all you have done in such a short amount of time? <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, it's like anybody. We're all in a process, I think. I think it's important to understand that we're all in a process in life and it never ends. <laughs> and so mm, yeah. no matter where you're so at true. in that process, there's always further to press into. Um, and yeah, you know, I've been blessed. I've really been blessed by a life um, that I've been given more than anything. And there's a great quote by Bill Simon that I, I love leading with because it kind of sets the stage. And it's mm-hmm. said that I was born on third base and thought I hit a triple. And so, <laughs> and so just it. like, you know, I was truly born on third base as um, a white middle class male in America in one of the most prosperous countries and times we've ever lived. And so that is a gift that I was given. And then what I Mm -hmm. do with that, how I use that is my responsibility and my stewardship of that Mm -hmm. gift. And so, um, yeah, I feel really blessed to to be able to grow up in, I grew up in Kansas of all places, the middle of America, Nice, awesome place to grow up and played golf my whole life that ended up leading to, um, about a four year, almost four year professional golf career. And, and really what that, that served for me, it, it didn't serve as much of a success from a results standpoint or a financial standpoint, but from a human and personal development standpoint, it was gold. It really mm-hmm. defined my thinking, um, my disciplines, my habits, my mindsets, and even my understanding of what it takes to develop as a human. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and through that, God's uh, transitioned me out of golf into what I'm doing now, and it's been quite the journey <laughs> and I never would have planned on on being where I am today and even speaking with you now and so it, it truly is a wild ride um, and and that's there's a lot of beauty in that I think just seeing the beauty in the dance that life is is such an important part well definitely the art of golf it just it's so strategic it's such a discipline I'm sure that those things that you learned have completely changed your life. No doubt. I think one of the best blessings of golf is that it is an individual sport and it's a sport that lies heavily within your mind. And so Mm. um, you really have to leave no stone unturned if you're going to maximize your performance. You have to discover 
all of the ways that you're thinking poorly or all of the ways that you're thinking is affecting your performance on the course. And it really doesn't leave you any room for excuses or passing blame. You ultimately have to take 100% ownership of all the results. So right. it's one of the best blessings and also curses of golf is that there's no one to blame except you. And, and so you really are forced to take ownership and never settle. And those are kind of the two mantras that I'm, I'm really preaching hard now because with taking ownership and with never settling, um, we're going to individually start pushing to our full potential. And when we each individually do that, there's no telling what we can do societally. And that's what gets me really excited. I love that. Taking ownership is such an important part of life and growth, but I also think that it's a piece that a lot of people really struggle with. I think you're spot on. You know, I, I mean, we're if we're honest with ourselves, we all struggle with this. And, <laughs> and I am in the same boat. You know, it's it doesn't matter who you are or where you're at, you're going to struggle with this because um, it's the harder path. I think it's mm. important to know that it's always the harder path. Um, it's always easier to pass blame, to find excuses, um, to try and justify our actions that maybe we internally know aren't the best or aren't right for us. But the harder path is always the best path for us and for others. And I think that helps us knowing that it's going to benefit ourselves, but it's also going to benefit others more if we do choose to take the harder path. Okay, clearly you're a gritty guy. You're not a quitter. So how did you develop the grit to keep digging in? I mean, because you're young. Can we tell the audience how old you are? I am 26. Wow. Okay, so I am in the 50 plus category. <laughs> and I'll say that even in the 50s, I know a host of people that are still struggling to find their grit factor. How did you do that at such a young age? Hmm. Yeah, well, I think one of the interesting, uh, I guess, origins of that was, was it, like I said, growing up in, a, in an upper middle class family, um, I felt, I always felt very privileged. Um, we were pretty well off for being in Kansas. And I had one of my best friends who was a little bit on the other end of the spectrum. Not, not like they were in a hard place, but it was a lot harder, um, or just a lot more strained for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and he was my best friend growing up. So seeing that just, you know, very up close and personal, I really almost operate off of a, a sense of guilt. And, and the worst fear I had was turning into a spoiled brat. That was mm -hmm. like, I was going to do everything I could not to, and to not to portray that, mm -hmm. um, because I, I was really grateful for what I was given. So, um, so I think that was what started it. And then in golf, you know, um, I think the, the desire, the will to win, um, I'm such a competitor and being, uh, just hating losing motivated me so much to just pour myself into this sport, um, and, and do all that I could to win. Um, so I think there's some, those aren't necessarily the most healthy, but they were the earliest motivations for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then over time, right. I think the important thing to just note is that this doesn't, none of these things happen by overnight, right. They happen over time, right. They don't happen by chance and they don't happen overnight. Right. And so starting as a young kid, those things kind of kicked me into that process of pushing myself. 
And then over years and years and years and years of doing that, and then the higher up you get in golf, the more you have to keep doing that because you're reaching above and above and above your current grasp. And so uh, even I think the four, the three and a half years of professional golf were the, the climax of that kind of pushing. Mm-hmm. And, and you get to a place at that point where um, grit is, is really important and, and, and non-negotiable for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also, it's a grit blended with um, kind of a self-acceptance. And that was actually surprising to me. It wasn't just about... Um, being the toughest, um, grittiest, hardest on yourself person. It's about having those elements, but then reaching beyond that into an acceptance of who you are and how you're gifted and wired and owning your individual strengths within the sport um, and allowing it to come out. Mm-hmm. And that was this, that was a part that I really struggled with near the end was and, and started to, to taste some of that as allowing my abilities to flourish without holding on and, and, and holding myself to this extreme standard, which is important in practice, but in performing, it's not helpful. Yeah. Well, you're incredibly grounded. Do you attribute that to your parents and, and how they shaped you as, as when you were a kid? Yeah, I think part of it, I, I mean, large, largely, my parents were awesome. So yes, a big, big attribution to them. Um, I think a, a big attribution is to being raised in Kansas. You know, mm-hmm. Kansas is a very grounded place. It's very simple. It's very balanced. Um, people are, are pretty, um, pretty much people, you know, and it's yeah. less uh, convoluted with all the constructs of culture. Um, and then getting to come and live in California now for the last nine years, plus years, you know, having that cultural diversity has really Mm -hmm. helped broaden my horizons perspectives. Mm -hmm. Um, And then getting to travel the world for golf was such an amazing experience to see cultures in different countries and how life is operated. So I think, you know, I, again, I've been blessed with many experiences that aren't as typical for my age. And that's what's led to, I think, me being more grounded in my perspective Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and just striving for more of a balance. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. What would you say is your North Star, your your guide in life? Well, my North Star is Jesus Christ, honestly. He's my Savior and He's my Lord, and, and um, I believe He is the Son of God. And so that is the true North Star. And ultimately, that's the thing that keeps me most grounded. Um, out of all the things I mentioned before, my faith mm-hmm. is the thing that is my North Star. And so every morning, you know, I like to think of cornerstone habits, right? The habits mm-hmm. that keep your building in place, your life in place. And, and the chief cornerstone habits for me are, are starting and ending my day as bookends in God's word, in the Bible. And if I can do that every single day, it's going to be a successful day. Everything in between will be, it will be aligned and connected to my true north. And that's a big, that's a very, very, very important part of my life. And I think it's an important part of anyone's life is this this idea of being aligned and connected because mm-hmm. whoever you are, you have a North Star and it mm-hmm. may be your faith, it may be something else. But the point of that is that if you can live daily aligned and connected to that true North, mm-hmm. then whatever's in that day, it will be a success. It will be moving and trending in the right direction. And so for me, it's that starting and ending 
ending my day in God's word and then also starting my day on my knees just in submission to him and remind it's a it's a it's praying on my knees in the morning is a really helpful visual tangible action and reminder that I am not the center of the world. I'm not the center of the universe and I serve someone who's greater than me. And so things like that are, are non-negotiables for me and they really do, um, they, they really help me stay grounded. I love that. You, you are very grounded because I have kids. They're not like you. They're pretty grounded, <laughs> but they're not quite like you. You're, you're kind of the overachiever on the, on the, you know, on the raising kids spectrum. Oh, I mean, man. that is the deepest compliment. So kudos to your parents. You're very generous, Sharon. Thank you. <laughs> hey, let's talk about your book because I found you on Mentor Box the other night and I was yeah. so excited and I started listening to, because basically they have the author of the book walk through chapter by chapter, which is really exciting and we get to see you. So I would encourage anybody to grab Thane's book, but you can see him talk through the book, <laughs> which is super cool. So did you just wake up one day and go, hey, I'm going to write a book? <laughs> yeah, no, not quite. I actually never would have met. <laughs> I was never, it's so ironic. I was never a writer. I, I grew up as a math guy. Really? I was a numbers guy. I was logical, like, you know, left side of the brain, all out person. But in college, I realized that that was a self-limiting belief. That was thing. Mm. My sister has all the creativity. I don't have any of that. I'm just this analytical or numbers guy. But then once I started allowing myself the ability to believe that I could be creative, then I started exercising more of that. And, and during golf, I started writing a blog to keep people updated on my results and status. And I started really enjoying the process of writing. I was like, wow, this is fun. And, and, and after three plus years of writing on the blog, it was actually, I was flying to Bangkok, Thailand for a, a, an Asian tour qualifier. <laughs> and on the way, I had been dealing with a systemic muscle strain in my back. Um, it went on for about a year and a half. And that's one of the ways that God kind of pushed me out of professional golf. But um, on the way, I'd re-aggravated it right before I left for the trip. And so in my heart, I knew I wouldn't be able to compete, but I had to try. So on the plane, you know, uh, it's a great place to think. And, and as I'm thinking about how could I repay my investors and sponsors for the gift they've given me in golf, mm -hmm. if I can't do it financially, what could I do? And that's where this idea for a book came from. It was like, man, what if I wrote a book about this journey of playing golf and what it's taught me about life and how it's made me a better person in life? Um, that'd be an awesome gift to be able to give them. So fast forward that was the initial idea in January of like 2017. Fast forward five months, I was on injury recovery again in another cycle and I was in Kansas and I'm like, I'm not going to sit on my butt and just practice putting and chipping and try and rehab. I'm going to start this book. I feel like God's giving me the space. So let's just dive in. Wow. I spent a month trying to figure out what it was, <laughs> like reading all of my writing, like journaling, like what am I trying to say here? And then one day I was just like, okay, what are, what are all the different um, uh, subjects that I could write on? I just journaled. After like a month of work, I journaled on like seven or eight different subjects. I'm like, okay, it could be this, could be this, could be this. Mm -hmm. and I remember sitting back and looking at it. And then just the, the idea is like, wow, what if each one of these was a chapter? Mm. And that kind of started. And then I was like, okay, I'm diving in. So then I puked out the draft in, in two to three months. And and then it was, a, it was a total of about an 18-month process uh, from start to finish. But um, yeah, it was a really 
fascinating process, a really difficult journey, (laughs) but I'm really grateful for it now. Writing a book definitely makes you go really deep within yourself. Mm. Yeah. 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 What have, have you, have you begun the process for you as well? I have. um, And and you know what? It's rough. Mm. It's rough because it is my personal journey. It's my faith journey. Um, I'm writing it like a workbook so that other people who have either self-worth issues or suffered a trauma like I did, that they can actually go really deep. So I ask a lot of the questions that are, that are really a lot of mindset of what are you believing about yourself? Because as you know, I, I know from watching your work that you embrace the truth that the battle is always in your mind. Totally. What, what have you, what's been the most surprising so far for you about the process for writing? You know, the, the process of actually sitting down and putting pen to paper has been relatively easy. Where I have struggled is that my life story is so incredibly messy. And one of my parents is deceased. Another one I haven't seen in or spoken to in nearly 20 years that there's so many loose ends. So I have a lot of very like solid storyline that I'm sharing, but then there's fragments that just don't make sense. So I thought, you know what? This has got to be the way it is for other people that have a really crazy, messy life. They have to have these bits and pieces that don't make any sense. So I thought that's how I'm going to write it. I write part of it and then I'll put it at the bottom and to tie up this loose end, I really have no idea. <laughs> or to tie up this loose end, like that person I was referring to is actually missing in action. No idea what's happened to them. Mm. You know, just things yeah. like that. But part of it is also is that I'm still processing my story. Yeah. Yeah, and writing is a beautiful processor, I think. Like that's that's one of the things that I've I've really come to enjoy the most is writing clarifies thinking. It's such a beautiful tool to get clear in not only understanding our story, but also understanding concepts and ideas. And just as speaking is, right? Speaking is a great tool, but writing and speaking, they unpack ideas and concepts differently in a unique way that complement each other. And so doing both is such an amazing way to kind of explore um, life. And and Mm -hmm. I think they are really a gift. So that's Mm -hmm. really cool. It's really cool to hear. Yeah, I think writing at this age of my life. See, if I had written at your at your age, I my story was still locked away, like deep within my soul. It was not something that was spoken of, and I certainly didn't think about it. But writing from this perspective of looking back now that I've raised three kids, it's completely different. I I beg the question of like, why did I know certain things between the ages of five and 12 that clearly kids that age don't know? Mm. So that's a whole nother talk. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I told you it's messy. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, life is messy. Honestly, there's different levels of messiness for sure. But um, if we're if we're trying to pretend like life isn't messy, we're kidding ourselves and everyone else. That's for sure. <laughs> hey, I want to refer back to something that you said a moment ago that I find so intriguing. You said with your back injury that you felt like God pushed you out of golf through the back injury. Now I know so many people hearing this are going to go, you know what, you know, and why aren't you angry about that? So. Address that. Just 
Yeah, yeah. I know. It was interesting. Uh, I don't, uh, one way to think about it is being pushed out. One is being let out. I think mm. let out is probably more accurate. But okay. um, but I do think, yeah. So uh, I had a, a, a systemic muscle strain in my left rhomboid that was golf specific and it repeated about five different times um, uh, over a year and a half. Mm. Um, a lot of unknowns, a lot of doubts, a lot of frustrations, a lot of trying to solve the problem of my body. Um, but at the end of that, I, I reached the end of that kind of point and it was about three and a half years in and it was time to reevaluate whether or not I'd keep playing, um, professionally or move on to a new path. And during that mm-hmm. time, I, I committed to not deciding for several months. It was about two months. And I was like, I'm not going to make a decision for two months because I want to give God space to really work and, and lead and communicate. And during that time, the big question was, who was God created, equipped, and called me to be? Um, and, and from that time of seeking him and space and counsel and all of that evaluation, it became clear that I can be more effective and fruitful um, in this world outside of golf than within golf. Mm. And um, that was based on how he's gifted me and wired me. And so because of that, um, that was the main reason to, that I made the shift. Um, and so... I think the, I think anytime we pour ourselves into any endeavor with our heart, soul, strength, and everything, mm-hmm. uh, we uh, we're very attached to it. Partly because we've attached our identity to it, mm-hmm. and so when we attach our identity to what we do instead of who we are, then everything is going to be fearful of losing that identity, right. right? Because it's no longer in ourselves and what we're doing. And that's a bad place for us to be regardless of what it is, because that's never our identity. Our identity is who we are as human beings. And I think that one of my favorite way to think about humans in light of God's design is that we're two things. We're one, created in the image of God, which means everyone has divine inherent worth of eternal value that no one can take away. No one can strip you of. It doesn't matter if you're living on the streets or in a castle. You have the same worth and value in God's eyes. The second is that we're all sinners, meaning no one is better than the rest of us. We're all fallen. And so because of that, we can't view others as less than us or greater than us. We need to view everyone on the equal plane. Um, And so in light of those two realities, that's our core identity as humans. Mm -hmm. And and anytime we attach our identity to something we're doing, then we're going to be fearful of losing that. And so I think what really helped me not be angry or upset at God is just being able to know where my identity is found, um, which is ultimately from him. And then to be able to see how he's used this time of my life and this pursuit of golf to prepare me for what's next. And I think that's what's always great about it is like, we're always in process and we're being prepared for what's ahead of us. It may not be what you're pursuing right now, but if you pursue it faithfully, it'll prepare you for what's next, regardless of if it's within this field or a different one. And so that makes our job really easy. Our job is just to be faithful. It's be faithful with where you're at and take ownership and never settle. Mm-hmm. And regardless of the outcome, you'll be prepared for what's to come. Wow. Oh my goodness. This is, this is like a mastermind right here. <laughs> <laughs> this is so good. Mm. This is so good. So one of the things that you had mentioned to me um, before we started, you had, you had touched on um, learning how to learn and overcoming fears. Mm. 
Yeah. Oh man. Those are, those are massive. Um, they are. So, yeah. So overcoming fears, let's touch on that first. I think, um, we, so fear, there's a great quote on fear, uh, Kusti Amato, who's Mike Tyson, who was Mike Tyson's trainer. He said that fear is like fire. It can cook for you. It can heat your house or it can burn you down. Mm. <laughs> and so it's a great point of like fear is a great tool. Um, it's a part of our physiology. It's a part of God's design. We have a fear response. That's a sympathetic nervous system. And it says, okay, if I see danger, I'm either going to fight or flight. It's going to ramp up my body's abilities so I can handle that and survive. It's a survival mechanism. And that's a good thing. But the problem is we have this survival mechanism going off in non-survival instances of daily life. Mm-hmm. Our boss comes in the room and that fight or flight response comes on when really there's no life-threatening danger in this situation. Um, So the point of that is, is that fear, unhealthy fear, the root of unhealthy fear lies in irrationality. It comes from irrational lies that we believe. It's saying that this is a dangerous situation when it's really not. Um, And so if we can understand the lie we can we we have to discover it first, mm-hmm. and we can understand it by by seeing where it comes from, what the roots are. Then we get to replace it with truth, and I think that's a really important part of the process. Because once we replace it with truth, then we have to believe that truth and act on that truth in order to dispel the fear of any situation. So, um, one of the biggest fears, right, is in switching golf of of failure. I think the biggest. Fear, one of the biggest fears we all face is the fear of failure. And this mm-hmm. fear of failure is saying that it's, again, attaching our identity to what we do instead of who we are. Yeah. It's saying that if I fail at this, I am a failure um, because my identity is in this. So if we can mm-hmm. remove our identity from it mm-hmm. and then we can understand that a failure is a stepping stone to success, as Ariana Huffington's mother says. And there's so many quotes about failure being used. It's a tool, right? It's learning right. what not to do so that we can learn what to do. And mm. it always goes in that order. Mm. And so understanding that, that it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing, it's a helpful thing. It's mm-hmm. not to be glorified, but it is to be partnered with as our teacher, as our tutor, and as our ally. Wow. In that process, we can replace irrationality and put fear in its place and then use it to our advantage. That is such a healthy way to frame fear. Mm. 100% agree. We could just drop the mic right there. That's <laughs> so good. Oh my and it's God. a daily practice, you know, like we face these every day, you know, and so we, it's not like we grow out of this. It doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter that I, I've thought through this and I can communicate clearly. I still face them too, just as much as you do or anyone listening, you know, so it's up to us again to take ownership of this process and to keep um, in pursuit of dispelling these irrational fears and then using it to our advantage because even on the flip side, right? The best athletes, the best performers of any genre, any field, they're the ones who can use fear to their advantage to the fullest because that adrenaline response, that fear response, Mm -hmm. if you can control it and see it as your friend and become comfortable with the discomfort of it, it actually heightens your abilities. And so now you're able to do things that weren't even humanly possible or or weren't thought of as, for example, Tiger Woods winning the Masters recently. Mm-hmm. Like that mm-hmm. wasn't thought to be possible, and he yeah. used that situation to fuel him. And that stage, and that adrenaline, and that those fears and anxieties, all those things that come with that experience in that moment, he used them to maximize his abilities versus to hurt them. And 
it was an amazing feat. I, I was so inspired by watching that. Yeah. I think this segues right into uh, intentional living. Yes, intentional living. Um, yeah, I think uh, so. Living again, this goes back to um, life. Um, one of the life truths is that nothing happens by chance. Um, and so, if we just allow ourselves to float through life, <laughs> I, I like to think about it this way, actually. So uh, I heard it, I guess a pastor one time was talking about it, um, but I think it's true regardless of your faith again, is that life is a downward escalator. Mm. And what that means is, is that if we're being passive, if we're settling, if we're defaulting, we're actually going to be going downward. And so this actually ties into the second law of thermodynamics, which is entropy. And it says without a given force in a certain direction, that everything decays without opposition that everything will naturally decay. Um, and so we are in a process of decaying. And the only thing that stops that process is intentionality. Mm-hmm. It, it's choosing to move forward to take a step, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're on a downward escalator, if you start stepping, you're going to stop moving down. So it takes intentional effort every single day. Um, and, and I think that uh, it's just, it's a helpful rubric for helping us think through daily life because every day we have the ability to um, make a powerful choice or to let life happen to us. And, and I love this idea that powerful change always comes from powerful choices. Powerful choices are the thing that bring powerful change. And what makes a powerful choice a powerful choice is intentionality and effort. And so if we can combine intentionality and effort, we can make powerful choices which lead to powerful change in our lives. Um, and, and it's so amazing uh, what just the simplest piece of intention will do to any situation, decision, or place we find ourselves in life. Wow. That is so good. That is so good. I'm writing notes as you've been talking. <laughs> this, this seriously could be an all-day workshop right here. <laughs> people, how to think, how to frame fear, how to frame failure. This is amazing. We, we need to do something like that together. This is Let's great. Let's do it. Yeah, okay. you're in California, aren't you? I am. Yeah, yeah I'm not far from LA. Yeah, okay. I'm like 30 minutes from you probably. I love this it. This is awesome. So what are you working on next? What's, what's coming down the pipe? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I love writing and so I'm like wanting to start another book, but I know that one of the biggest mistakes that I've heard people, authors make often is moving past books too soon. And so I'm trying not to do that. So (laughs) I'm going to stay on this book for a while and just keep pushing it and promoting it and also talking about it because I do believe in it. I'm I'm working on the audio book right now. So that should be coming out here um, shortly. But, but the next stage is really just building into more of my career as a speaker, Mm -hmm. Um, transitioning fully into that and and getting more opportunities to be in front of more people and share ideas and concepts and and strive to empower others that's that's the goal so um this next year is a lot of building into that um and and seeing where god leads you know i've i've got the podcast i do i've got a coffee business i i run on the side it's been fun i do um development performance coaching so it's a pretty wide uh it's just a lot of things moving pieces you could say so um, I think, uh, growing in, um, working with teams, um, and, and having people come alongside to help has been a, a fun step this year 
developing some teams around me for the podcast, um, for mm, a young nice. adults group I lead, and yeah. then shortly for even my personal stuff is is going to be really a fun process to grow in. So that's kind of the the main focus for this year. Can you tell us a little bit about your performance coaching? Because I know that people are going to want to want to know about that and want to reach out to you. What does what does that process look like? Yeah. So for my whole golf career, right? Like this was what I did for myself. It's, it's mm-hmm. ultimately like, how can I maximize my performance? How can I grow into the player that I'm going to be? And, and that was really neat and cool, but it's also somewhat um, self-focused and narcissistic. And so now <laughs> taking that to other people has been so much more fulfilling. Um, and so I like to think about it as taking the professional athlete's mindset to everyday people in everyday life. It's yeah. a process of coming alongside others, um, providing objectivity, which you can't get on your own ultimately, and accountability. Um, and those are the two main pieces. And with that, um, it's, it's a process of moving and growing from where you are now to where you want to be um, mm-hmm. and providing not only helping come alongside to develop the vision for it, mm-hmm. um, but then also examining current life and kind of consulting about ways to maximize their everyday living what are tools and methods and practices to help them um, ramp up their performance and where they're at now and then together working on the strategic game plan for the stepping stones to get to where you want to be more efficiently and effectively than just seeing if it happens by chance so it's it's kind of that threefold process of coaching consulting and creating mm-hmm. and, um, it's been a really fun practice and um and really it's it's ultimately creating space for people to grow i think is the simplest way to think about it i love it i love it so absolutely everything will be linked up below in the show notes thanemarcus.com is how you can connect with with thane to learn more about his books his coaching and of course his book is from here to there a quarter life perspective on the path to mastery his instagram is at thane marcus I'll have that linked as well. Thank you so much for your time. Truly, this was like a masterclass mm-hmm. with a master performer. Well, thank you, Sharon. You're, you're very kind and generous. And uh, I, it warms my heart to just uh, to be able to share. And, and it's been a lot of fun. What's Just before we end, what's, what is um, the projected ETA on your book? Oh, I am blazing blazing with it. I really want to have it out before the end of summer. Mm. I really do. So, you know, I think it's going to require some really, really hard digging in because the other aspect is, is that when that book goes into someone's hands, I want to make sure that it really serves them well. And it's not a long book. It's something that you could grab, get on a a short flight. I, I don't want to give somebody a tool that they have to spend a month or two months trying to plow through to get some answers and solutions to what's going on in their life. Mm. Yeah. So it's going to be, it's going to be small, but mighty. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. And I love that because I think anytime if they're, you know, anytime we're creating something we, and you believe in it, like you have, it is worth it to push for the best product and the best tool possible for people. So Mm -hmm. I love that intention that you're carrying with it and it's, I'm excited to check it out when it comes out. Oh, thank you. I so appreciate that. Open mic here for any time you want to come back, Thane. And I can't wait to see what you do. I mean, you've already accomplished so much in 26 years. It's like, what's the next 26 years going to look like for you? 
You know, I, I want to end with a quote. Uh, I start my book with it, and it's Muhammad Ali who said, the man who views his life at the age of 30 as he did at the age of 50 wasted 20 years of his life. Mm. And so, you know, we're all in a process. We're in a process of growing, and our perspectives will change and shift as we grow. And um, it's a, each part of that process is a blessing. So let's, let's strive to see it as such. I love it. That's a perfect way to end. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sharon. Hey, friends. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Living a Limitless Life. I'd love to hear from you. What did you think about that conversation? I have a page of notes. I was deeply impacted by what Thane had to say and the perspective that he has from his golf days and learning how to be gritty and learning how to stay grounded and really focused on what matters and being intentional. So if you found value, I'd really appreciate it if you would share this content out or drop me a message, leave a review. It's all greatly appreciated. Everything is linked below in the show notes so you can find Thane and connect with him. And also, if you listen to the entire episode, you heard him asking about my book. I have an update for you. I'm under deadline to be done and get everything to the publisher by the end of June so that we can start all of the, the final edits and cleaning things up. I should have physical copies in my hand this fall and then the big official launch on Amazon will be January 2020. So I appreciate your support. If you're interested in knowing more about my book, go to my website, SharonHughes.net. And at the very top, you'll see a button that says my book and you can sign up there to get updates. The book is called The Girl in the Garage and it is my true story of overcoming the unthinkable. So thank you, my friends, for being here. And as always, I wish you every good thing.